He was an early hero of the American Revolution. As a general at the Battle of Saratoga in 1777, he led his soldiers in gallant victory over the British. George Washington even recognized him as the bravest of the brave and put him in charge of West Point Military Academy. But by 1780, he was disillusioned with the American cause and was tired of getting passed up for promotion in the Continental Army. He arranged to, to sell military secrets to the British for 20,000 pounds sterling. And in so doing, he defected to the crown, the enemy. He moved to England, serving the British army as a general, eventually returning to the colonies to fight the same soldiers he had once commanded. This man's name has gone down in history as America's greatest creator of a breakfast dish of poached eggs and ham on an English muffin covered in hollandaise sauce. We know him as Benedict Arnold. I'm just kidding about the breakfast. He didn't invent this. No, Benedict Arnold betrayed his country for 20,000 British pounds. He was the turncoat of the American Revolutionary War, one of the all-time most famous betrayers in history. In fact, his name is synonymous with betrayal. So is the name of another guy. Can you guess who? Yeah. Judas. He betrayed his teacher, his rabbi, at a price of 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed his Lord and God. His name is Judas Iscariot, and that's not his last name. It means Judas from the town of Cariot. Today we look at this man's betrayal and ours in view of God's mercy. And I'm just going to leave Caravaggio up here. He was, he's my famous or my favorite Renaissance painter. <clears throat> Always painted very dark with very interesting colors or light. But he wasn't always historically accurate, so notice the uh, Roman guards, or the, the chief priest guards, I mean, are wearing medieval suits of armor. <laughs> Not accurate. At any rate, our text from Matthew 26 describes this scene. Jesus is in the garden on the Mount of Olives, just opposite the mountain that Jerusalem sits on. On a Thursday night of the Passover, he has been praying to God for strength as he faces the suffering he's about to undergo. Verse 47 says, at that time, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. It says that Judas was one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples whom Jesus had chosen to be his companion on their walk through Judea to spread the word that the kingdom of God had come. Judas had followed Jesus, listened to his words, and witnessed his miracles. You know, he was there for all of that. Judas was a trusted confidant in the company of Jesus. Yet eventually, Judas turned against Christ. He collaborated with Jesus' enemies, those who wished to discredit him and destroy him. You see, they needed an informant, an insider, who would arrange for them to arrest Jesus, apparently because they had a difficult time locating him on their own. 
And the price of the deal? 30 silver coins. The going price at the time for a slave. On that dark Thursday night, Judas led a crowd carrying weapons to arrest Jesus. Moreover, Judas had provided an insidious signal to identify the target for arrest. It would be a kiss. Matthew continues his report of what happened. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. We've kind of lost the, the uh, significance of this in our American culture because we only kiss our closest relatives. And, uh, but in, in, during those times, even men would give each other a, a peck on the cheek as a sign of uh, greeting. Judas used that symbol of friendship to, to betray and condemn his friend and Lord. Judas's treachery was displayed on a gesture intended to express brotherly love. How painful it must have been for Jesus to receive this kiss. How shameful it was for Judas to sell out his Lord, his rabbi, in this way. Or was it? Maybe he thought everything was going to work out for everyone. A win-win situation. You know, we're often asked in Bible studies and, and in sermons to put ourselves in the sandals of the disciples and tell ourselves, yes, I would have not gotten what Jesus was saying and, and what his purpose was at first. I, I would have been in the dark just like the disciples would have been. I, I would have been tempted to give up and, and leave Jesus and all that behind after he died and all that. I, I would have been just like them. But have we ever walked a mile in Judas's sandals? You know, he's not usually the disciple we want to be associated with, is he? I would never betray Jesus, you know. Not me. <laughs> would we have? Would we still? Listen to what Joshua Gibbs says in his little piece titled, If I Were Judas Iscariot. On his way to betray Jesus to the chief priests, Judas may have said to himself, I'm not betraying him. Nothing of the kind. If I was handing him over to be killed, that would be betrayal. If I personally stabbed him, that would be betrayal. But all I'm doing is telling some people who are looking for him where they can find him. I'm not even breaking any laws. How is it breaking the law to tell one person where another person is? If I told Jesus where the chief priests and the temple guards were, would I be betraying the chief priests? Obviously not. Neither is it betrayal to tell the chief priests where Jesus is. In order for it to be a betrayal, there would have to be some kind of risk of Jesus actually getting caught. But Jesus has slipped through the hands of people trying to arrest him before. I've seen it with my own eyes. And even if they do catch him, can the man who walks on water not also walk out of a jail cell? He can restore the dead to life. And if he is imprisoned, I'm sure he can restore himself to free society as well. The only way Jesus is going to get caught is if he allows himself 
to get caught, which he has never done before. In the end, telling the chief priests where Jesus is might create a little hassle for us disciples, but nothing we haven't been through before. What are the chief priests going to do to him anyways? Rough him up a little, perhaps? Let the uh, lie to the Romans about something? Have him fined 60 days in jail at worst? And that's assuming they can even get him. I will tell them where he is. But actually getting the cuffs on him is their job. And I seriously doubt that will happen. And what will be the upside of it all? At least 10 pieces of silver. Probably more. Probably closer to 20. They will pay me out of the treasury. And I'm quite sure that it's overflowing at this time of the year. I'll drive a hard bargain. I'll demand 30 pieces of silver. That will go far in making up for all the money we lost earlier today. Honestly, why didn't that woman ask one of us first if she could wash the master's feet? It was very kind of Jesus to stick up for her when I pointed out how much that oil was worth. He didn't want her to feel bad for doing something naive. With 30 pieces of silver, though, I can replace all the money I've taken out the last year. Not that anyone ever notices. I'm the best educated one in the bunch, the only one who knows enough to keep a ledger, receipts, and do arithmetic. That's why they gave me the task of keeping the purse. I've sacrificed more than anyone else to follow the Master. Of, of, of all 12 of us, I'm the only one who left behind a really lucrative job. If I take a little out of the purse from time to time for a decent drink or a better meal, what's it, what's it to Thomas or Bart? It's a fraction of a fraction of what I could be making back home. Everyone has their own little consolations, and a little better food every so often is mine. The master knows I take a little out from time to time for myself. I'm sure he's seen me do it. Besides, this is a man who knows what everyone is thinking. He can read me like a book. He's fine with what I do. He doesn't care about money. I'm sure he doesn't care about a coin here or a coin there missing. With these 30 pieces of silver, I'm going to get some good wine and good cheese for the festival. I'll repay what I owe, put a little more in the common purse, and with what's left, I'm going to go all out for this festival. Hey, when you're in Jerusalem, you've got to live it up. I might even stay behind for a few days after every, everyone else leaves. I'm kind of like the shrewd manager in the story the master tells all the time. That's why I'm not telling Jesus about this little scheme of mine. I'm going to net the master a huge profit with my cunning. I'll repay my debts. I'm not going to bury my talent in the ground. While the master is away, I'm going to get a huge return for him. After he slips the grasp of the, of the temple guards, I'll show Jesus how much I got, and he'll say, that was shrewd. And the others will be jealous. They didn't think of anything so cunning. <laughs> Sons of thunder. I'll get a better nickname than that. Judas the clever. Judas the crafty one. That's what they'll call me. Well, Judas isn't the only one who has betrayed the Lord. Every time we live and think in ways which are contrary to God's word, we betray. 
In our sin, we who bear the name of Christ bring shame to His name. We are traitors too. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all clear that Jesus knew beforehand that Judas would betray Him. In fact, Jesus announced His awareness of this betrayal hours before it even happened. Yet at the Last Supper, Jesus extended gestures of friendship and honor to Judas in the, sealing, in the seating placement and the sharing of bread. And even after being kissed in the Garden of Gethsemane, after receiving the assault of betrayal, Jesus addresses Judas as friend. Sarcastically, you think? Christ's mercy was always available to Judas, even while Judas carried out his despicable deeds. The price Judas paid to betray Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. That was the price of a slave, as I mentioned earlier. In one sense, that price was appropriate because Jesus willingly offered himself as a slave, as a servant. He was prophesied by Isaiah to be the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant. Jesus himself claimed that his purpose was to be a servant when he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul writes, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Jesus was willingly sold as a slave by the betrayal betrayal price of 30 shekels in order to purchase us from the slavery to sin. He was betrayed at the hands of sinful men to demonstrate conclusively that God will never desert or betray us. But the price of our salvation is not paid in silver coins, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He gives his life as a ransom for you and me. So today we contemplate our betrayal of Christ, but we do so in view of God's mercy. Jesus was betrayed to death in order to ransom us from death. To you and me, traitors all, Christ offers bread at the table as a gesture of love and as an invitation to forgiveness. To you and me, traitors all, Christ offers His blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of all your sin. To you and me, traitors all, Christ offers Himself to death in order to purchase us from slavery to sin. At the time Benedict Arnold was all over the newspapers, Benjamin Franklin said of him, Judas sold only one man, Arnold three millions. True, but you know, Benjamin Franklin was never the astute theologian. He failed to go further in saying, in Judas, selling out one man, billions were saved, including you and me. This is so, and, so for, and for all who believe. So may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.